There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. So our big question today is what will our cities look like in the future? It's a very big question. It's one that's being asked at the Emirates Lit Fest this year and also by our guest and reviewer in the chair today, international journalist, author and public speaker, Riz Khan. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I think, uh, hang on one second, um, Riz. There you go, your mic's on now. I'm sorry, I thought I sounded very cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be here. So it's your first time in the new studio. It is, it is. It's, it's amazing. It's so different from the studios in which I... Because I, I started in radio at the BBC. And it's so funny to be um, in a studio with glass and lights and cameras. It's just... And screens. And a view. And a view, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, actually. It's just such a difference, you know. So your background... I mean, you've conducted more than 10,000 interviews on CNN International. Al Jazeera, English... BBC News as well, <laughs> and your own, you have your own talk show, Q&A with Riz Khan. That's correct, yeah. It was, um, it's been an interesting ride because, you know, I always remind people I'm a failed doctor. Uh, my degree was in physiology, medical physiology, and then I ended up doing journalism as a kind of stopgap to save up some money to go back and do my clinical years. And uh, it all moved very quickly. Uh, I ended up doing a course in journalism, you know, postgraduate, because the, the counsellor, the career counsellor I went to for the first time in my life, said, well, your English is good. And I said, well, nuns beat English into me in Aden, where I was born. It was a British colony in Yemen. And uh, so I ended up in, in doing a radio journalism course and in the BBC. And I was the first South Asian they had, which also kind of was funny walking down the corridors. <laughs> yeah, but it was fantastic. Yeah, we launched BBC World Service in ni- November 91, CNN International in April 94, and then Al Jazeera English in uh, November 2006. Well, I'm going to just pop a bookmark in the what will cities look like in the future question, because I think... With the theme, the theme of the festival in general next February is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we were talking off air about kind of the way things used to be in radio journalism versus how things are now. And I could tell when you walked in, I mean, we are massively spoiled today, aren't we? <laughs> well, you know, it's, the whole process is so much quicker. You have to imagine, I, I, even when we launched BBC World Service, I, I anchored or presented, as we said at the BBC, um, the very first show. I co-presented it with a woman who used to work with ITN. I used to watch Pamela Armstrong. And at that time, there was no breaking news. So when I joined CNN a year and a half later, um, and suddenly I was doing breaking news, it was quite a shock because it was just complete roller coaster. And then the BBC started doing breaking news. And of course, it's just all everyone's followed that CNN model to some degree. Uh, including having, you know, newsrooms, open newsrooms and, you know, kind of everything going live and crazy at, at any time. So uh, definitely the, the environment has changed completely. And, and if you imagine, I was cutting quarter-inch magnetic tape, radio tape, on, on, you know, on reel-to-reel machines. I still have one, actually. My daughter, who's 13, looked at it a couple of years ago and said, what is that? You know, <laughs> she said, Isn't it Spotify? Um, <laughs> anyway, so, I, I, you know, so actually the, the logistics and the mechanics of radio are so different. In fact, the very first radio studio in which I, I worked, and I was watching you tapping away on the computer. We had no keyboards, of course, no computers, actually. Um, we had twist pots. So a person had to be an octopus to operate a radio studio because it was like kind of hands twisting from one pot to another and pushing cartridge buttons. And uh, and then when I got to my first studio with faders, I was like, ah, I'm in heaven. The same actually when I got from mechanical typewriters in local radio at the BBC to the radio to the TV newsroom at the BBC World Service, BBC Television News Centre, and actually had electric typewriters. I said, what? And it's got a backspace delete button? <laughs> so Which was You said that you were, you were cutting magnetic tape. Right. So, so, to, so to edit, say, a soundbite or something, mm-hmm. 
How would that actually work? So it involved using, um, obviously, there were fast forwards and slow forwards and so on. And a lot of it was done with twisting the reels with the hands across the across the audio. So you'd hear the what, what you'd call, I guess, scrubbing and, and slow and fast scrubbing now. But it's like, like you'd hear the hello would be like, hello, like you know, doing this and then finding the bit where it starts a, and then doing the edit just before that. And I, there were times I had to search through, you know, reels, uh, yards of tape. Uh, to find a breath that would fit in between two bits if I was editing it. It didn't sound natural. And it was, it was hard work. It was actually That's very hard work. It's fascinating because now online digitally, if you have a podcast or radio show, you do all of that, but literally with a click of your it's mouth. It's absolutely amazing. It's, it's exactly it's, the same process, except it's yeah. just digital. So yeah, no, it really is. And not only that, the, 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 uh, the programs will automatically fade in and out music. They sense. I mean, I had to work with, with recording levels. Uh, now it, people don't even have to think about it. Everything is kind of, you know, we had limiters, but they were just not good. You'd hear the pulsing in and out of the yeah. limiter going in and out. And times have changed a lot. <laughs> times do change a lot. I think that's kind of the, the theme for the next half hour is kind of, would you, in terms of radio, back then, would you have envisaged what it's become now? I mean, was it obvious then? It was absolutely impossible. There was no way I could have imagined. I mean, the, the machine I carried, carried around uh, as a radio reporter in the uh, in the eighties, was so heavy, um, my shoulder would ache within a couple of hours of carrying this. Uh, and the model was a, a brand called Ewer, a German brand, I think. And uh, and I could never have imagined, you know, a even a digital recorder. I mean, when when digital recorders came in, I was again fascinated. I thought this is a huge huge uh, move, and. You, know, you have to remember that there were no mobile phones. So when I was working at Radio Cumbria up in the Lake District in Britain, and I had to file a report live uh, re- you know, into the uh, 12 o'clock news show, for example, I'd have to find a phone box, have a pocket full of coins. <laughs> and, and there were times, actually, I knew all the phone boxes in, <laughs> in the towns. Um, and I remember standing outside one in, in, uh, in Kendall, and tapping on the window desperately because it was coming up to the live news bulletin, telling the guy, "Excuse me, I need to get to the phone." And he thought, well, "Who is this rude guy standing banging on the phone while I'm, you know, phone box while I'm?" It was the old red phone boxes. Absolutely hysterical, but great times, really, great times. It was a lot slower. <laughs> it sounded like it was hectic but fun. It was, it was, yeah. There was the pressure was less in some ways because, of course, now the expectations are so much higher. Um, but it was a lot of fun. So the big question today is what will cities look like tomorrow? And we're asking the question because there is a panel happening at the festival called Cities of Tomorrow. Do you know when it's happening, Man? Um, yep, it's happening on the Saturday the 8th of February in the evening. So it features Roma Agrawal, who's the author of Built, The Hidden Stories Behind Our Structures, Saeed al Gargawi, who is the director of Dubai Future Academy, and Tony Juniper, CBE, who is chair of Natural England and fellow of the University of Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. Now, his book, What Has Nature Ever Done for Us, is one that we'll be talking about on the show today. Um, so Riz Khan is our guest in the studio. Um, you'll be speaking to these wonderful people at the festival. And I know that you've got a few of the books as well. So first thoughts, I mean, what do you actually think that cities will look like tomorrow? Well, you know, you have to remember that I've been in, in Dubai for about 19 years. It would be 19 years in January, actually. I came for the opening of Dubai Media City when I was with CNN. And that middle building had CNN written on it. So <laughs> I flew over and, uh, and I fell in love with the place. Now, at that time, there was a lot more sand. <laughs> and now, of course, I, I'm, I'm blown away with, uh, with what's happened. And uh, when I was in Atlanta uh, working with CNN, the city grew incredibly quickly. The population almost doubled. I think it was about 2.5 to 4.6 million in 10 years. And I used to go away on a trip for CNN 
for maybe two or three weeks, come back and there was a new road intersection. And I would be, my goodness, that wasn't there you know, a little while ago. Um, whereas I would leave Dubai for a couple of weeks and come back and there was a new building. So I, I, I was blown away watching how um, the UAE has grown in general and, and particularly in ex- with the experience of Dubai itself, just watching everything grow like crazy. I used to drive around the marina when it was being built. And if, you, if you've ever seen an aerial shot of the marina, it's phenomenal. I mean, the, the way it's grown. So uh, seeing, seeing how this country has grown so remarkably, um, I, I've never seen anything to compete with that, you know, to that degree. I think uh, now's a good time to actually bring in our guest on the line. So the wonderful Isabel Abelhul couldn't make it into the studio today, and I'll let her explain why, but she is joining us over the phone. <laughs> hi, Isabel. Hi, 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 hi. Yes, I had a ca- I had cataract surgery on uh, Wednesday, so I can't drive. I can see, sort of. <laughs> and um, um, I'm feeling absolutely fine. I went to Moorfield Hospital in Dubai. They were absolutely wonderful. I couldn't have been more better looked after, but they did say you can't drive, obviously. <laughs> I would be unsafe on the road. But um, I've been tuning in, listening to all of the um, uh, guests uh, today and hello Riz I'm sorry I'm not there uh, it's okay Isabel great today. to see you and recover well and quickly thank you thank you yes I do I do feel that I am and um, cities of the future well I came to Dubai in 1968 and never ever in my wildest imagination or dreams could I have imagined the Dubai of today and I don't think anyone else could have done um, and I just think the way that the country uh, has evolved over the last 50 years uh, I don't think it's anywhere on this planet to match it it has been absolutely phenomenal and I think because it was virtually untouched in many ways it's been much easier easier than say uh, for Europe which is much older to change things whereas here it was a, it was almost um, a clean slate in many cases you talked about the aerial view of um, uh, I think was it was the it marina. the um, the marina yes so so they have been able to do things like put in the metro, uh, do all of these other, you know, amazing projects, just because they did have more um, more wits uh, and ability to do it and to do it very fast. So I think that's incredible. I think actually, Isabel, there's something else as well um, in that uh, the government here and, and kind of vision, it is very visionary leadership. They embrace technology quickly so they were able to leapfrog and that's the advantage of as you say the clean slate is there's no legacy there's no having to tear down old phone lines and telegraph poles and things just really going straight in with the best technology and that really uh, sped things up yes uh, i totally agree i think that 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 has been a huge advantage of newer cities rather than the old cities that have you know wonderful uh, incredible ancient architecture and artifacts and I mean, if you look at the London Underground, how old that is, and it must be a nightmare to keep up, up trying to update something that's more than 100 years old. So, so none of those issues are here uh, where we are. I think one of the things I was thinking about cities of the future, and I think one of the things that's going to happen is that people are going to really think about growing their own food, no matter where they live or how they live. I mean, the technology on growing food... Um, uh, is incredible you know it doesn't you don't need to have a big field or a big garden you can grow vertically you can grow lots to eat and it's organic so i i think these are the kind of things that maybe we're not imagining when we talk about cities of the future but i think there's going to be 
everyone is going to embrace growing some of the food that they eat. And the more that we do that, obviously, it has to be better for our planet. Yeah, when I picture cities of the future, and, and this is why I found Tony Juniper's participation in the panel really interesting. I, I don't picture green spaces, though I imagine that is exactly what we are working towards. But in my head, the kind of science fiction fantasy image that I have is not one of a green space at all. It is one of, you know, we were talking about lots of glass earlier and steel, and it's not that, that those green spaces are not something that I envisage in my head. And I'm hoping that that image will change. But I mean, uh, I know that Emirates Airline, they're now growing a huge amount of the organic like lettuces and, and herbs and everything vertically um, uh, in, in a sort of a warehouse. And they can do that organically. They can control everything um, and they can produce sort of, you know, really, really good food. So I think we're going to find as time goes on where we have more space, where cities particularly become more crowded that no matter where you live on, you know, no matter what floor, um, you will be able to grow some of the food that you eat. And I think we need to do that. And the other wonderful, and this isn't, shouldn't really be connected to food, is, is, is toilets and sewage. So Bill Gates, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to bring the two together, has come up with this wonderful um, uh, toilet for use in, in Africa and other in villages in very distant places that doesn't use any water and takes all the waste and turns it into things that can be reused. So it's a real sustainable, um, uh, futuristic way of looking. And I was reading this book on, on sewage in London and things like that. And the, 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 the damage that that has done, um, you know, uh, uh, having, having sort of toilets, uh, I hadn't even considered it. Um, how much damage it causes to the environment. So we might be we might be having a Bill Gates toilet in the future uh, in our future cities as well. All of us. I'm sorry to put those two together. It's a bit gross. Apologies. No, it's fine. So. <laughs> Riz, I was I was curious when I was thinking about this panel. Yes, the the books are really interesting in their own right. The speakers are really interesting in their own right, and it is an interesting question. Like, what's What's kind of your own burning question when you're coming to this? Like, what's one of the things... I know that we want to go to the panel and we want to hear from the speakers, but what do you really want to ask them? Well, so one of the things that, that the LitFest has been really good about doing over the years, and I've been very honoured to be a part of it for, for quite a while now, is bringing together very diverse uh, authors, uh, diverse writers, and people with interesting different backgrounds. And we're really blessed with this one. We've got three very different people. I mean, Saeed Al-Gargawi, um, obviously, is one of the young, dynamic uh, Emiratis who's involved with um, pushing um, the country forward, you know, one of the young talents. So that's kind of good. He studied in the U.S., and he's um, been involved with space technology quite a bit with his, um, with his experience. So he's got a good perspective, I think, of East and West and how, you know, um, it works. Uh, Tony Juniper's great. He's a, he's a kind of great, straight-talking eco-warrior. Uh, so I love this play on the Monty Python, what have the Romans ever done for us with his, what has nature ever done for us? And, of course, what he points out is how um, there are so many balanced systems in nature that we as humans are tampering with. And a simple example is the, the story of the vultures in India, how they would clean up the carcasses. Uh, of dead cattle and by using different kind of uh, uh, compounds uh, the cattle then become inedible to the vultures the vultures die they, they get poisoned and then you have uh, poisoning of the environment because of rotting carcasses and and the whole thing starts to become this ecological nightmare so my, my question I mean especially to someone like Tony is um, how much have we knocked in in his view from what he's seen how much have we knocked nature out of whack 
how much is it going to take to come back uh, to some kind of center ground? I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get back to where things were. We can't with the population the way it is and growing. But I do wonder how, how much uh, we can actually raise that awareness so we don't take it that much further. I mean, we have you know, a 16-year-old Swedish girl, uh, school yeah. girl, actually waking everyone up to some degree. So um, that's, that's a question for him. Roma is very interesting because um, uh, Agrawal, Roma Agrawal, because she's got the technological uh, insight with her engineering background. And so with her, it's, um, it's, it's I guess the, the question is really about the new technologies that allow us to construct um, the way we need to and want to uh, without, again, having a major impact on, on resources and the environment. Um, and she's been very good about school kids teaching and, and encouraging school kids to kind of look to the future. And of course, we'd say that it's the, it's the fact that, you know, he's got an idea of the fact we are exploring beyond this planet. <laughs> so there is going to be an interesting uh, thought. You know, we can't just leave a wreck behind and go off into space and think, OK, we're done with that one. So uh, I want to know, uh, I would love to get his idea on what he, or his experience on what he has seen during his, his various internships and, and training uh, that he's done. Uh, we're going to have to pop in a bookmark, but we've got a lot more that we need to talk about with regards to Cities of, um, of Tomorrow and also a couple of other books that you've been reading as well, Riz. Thank you so much, Isabel, for joining us. It's my pleasure and I'll be listening in from home. Bye-bye. Bye. Just very briefly, because, Man, I know that you have also have been dipping into What Has Nature Ever Done For Us by Tony Juniper, who's one of the panellists. Um, and you used to live in New Zealand, mm -hmm. so I, I imagine a lot of this speaks to you. Yeah, it does. I think, um, and just sort of going back to what you said about what you imagined the future to be quite sci-fi, I think it's, you know, it's funny. I was uh, reading an article with images of how in the 1940s, how they saw the future. And you see these funny images of flying cars or mirrors where people talk to each other. And obviously the future is not like that. And I kind of think back to uh, when I was living in New Zealand and how there's a big, strong emphasis there on nature. And I think this book, like a lot of um, sort of other um, ideas out there now, is where technology and nature kind of come together. And I think that's really more of a realistic future uh, I think than sort of what we imagine, like, you know, more flying cars or more sort of iPhones where you can do all this crazy stuff on your smartphone. But I think it's a lot more um, down to earth than, than what our imaginations sort of lead us to. I think I was always like aware of the fact that obviously nature gives us an awful lot, but when you see it listed, as Tony Juniper does yeah. in his book. It's actually, it's astounding. And when you hear him speak, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of um, interviews and speeches that you can have have a quick look at online. But like you said, Riz, he's very, he's very straight-talking eco-warrior. And one of the things that he says is that I think for, for a long time, people thought that if there had to be any form of economic progress, it would always have to be, unfortunately, at the expense of the environment. And he makes a case of, of traveling the world and saying that is simply not true and you can work with nature. And when you do, the benefits to economies, et cetera, et cetera, are are enormous. And what's great about his book as well is that he backs everything up with facts yeah. and they're facts that have already been established before he wrote the book and it's he's referencing a lot of different uh, scientists and a lot of different writings as well as the fact that the book is a very easy read. It's an approachable read I would say. Like it's You don't have to be like a, a guy who understands economics or understands mm. nature thoroughly. It's just a, quite an easy way to um, sort of gauge how uh, 
nature and technology or nature and, you know, economics can sort of come together. I think it's also a great gift for somebody as well. It's a great it's a great yeah. book to give, particularly, and this is a very niche area of publishing, I suppose, but somebody who really likes both Monty Python and the environment. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe that isn't that niche. I mean, no. I like both those things. So, um, Riz, you'll also be speaking to um, a guy called Parakana at the festival. Um, so he his event is happening on 7th of February right. at 4pm. And he's talking about his latest book, The Future is Asian. Um, would you be able to just tell our listeners a little bit about that book and the subject matter? Sure. The thing with uh, Parag Khanna, and he's, he's become a friend over the years, so I have a lot of respect for him because he, um, he he's, he's quite good at getting ideas, people thinking, you know, and, and getting ideas out there. Um, he travels a lot and, and he's talking and advising a lot of people. Um, the, the the aspect of the, the world becoming Asian, the future is Asian, it's interesting because the full title of the book is The Future is Asian, Commerce, Conflict and Culture in the 21st Century. And what's uh, what's interesting is it's come at a very timely um, uh well, timely place in in where the world community is. If you think about all the the trade wars that seem to be uh, stirring up now, um, with uh, President Trump in place, and uh, we have Brexit uh, um, still trying to <laughs> still trying to happen, um, and that's going to obviously shake up the European trade um, uh, scenario. Uh, what he's saying is that look, you have to stop and remember that there are more people living in Asia in the world than anywhere else. So the majority of the world's population is actually Asian. Uh, and it will continue to be. It'll grow. And it'll continue to always be more than half of the world will be Asian. Uh, for me, it's quite interesting because growing up in Britain, for me, Asian was someone like me, South Asian. And then I moved to America when I joined CNN and everyone was like, you're not Asian. And I was like, what am I then? And they were saying, no, Asian is like Chinese or Japanese. And they think of East Asians and Southeast Asian people as being Asian. Um, so the definition is quite funny uh, from that perspective. But, uh, and actually, I used to get asked, they said, well, are you Anglo-Asian because you grew up in Britain? I said, well, no, I have no Anglo blood. I mean, I'm, I have purely, basically, South Asian blood. So I came up with a phrase a few years ago to describe myself. I call myself a Eucasian. <laughs> um, but the thing is that uh, the world is very much uh, directing itself towards Asia. And he points out one of the things that's happening is Asianizing. It's a term he uses to describe how Many of those markets into which Western and international companies want to go are already trading among themselves within the Asian geography uh, far more than anywhere else. So Asia's trading with itself much more, and it's becoming much stronger with the intra-Asian trading. So uh, that's quite kind of an interesting perspective because we've always thought of Western markets as being the most desirable and being the ones everyone wants to get into. Um, trade barriers are, of course, going to heavily restrict that. So there's, there's a shake-up already in place, but I think it's going to be uh, coming a lot harder now. Mm -hmm. So that, um, sorry, <laughs> Riz Khan there talking about uh, The Future is Asian by Parakana. So interested what you, what, in what you were saying. So 7th of February, 4 o'clock at the Emirates Literature Festival next year. Um, so you will also be speaking, of course, to Roma Agrawal, Tony Juniper and Sayyid al Gargawi on the panel Cities um, of Tomorrow, also happening the same weekend at the festival. Um, there is another session that you'll be doing as well that I need to mention very briefly, and yeah. that's you'll be moderating a debate a very fun debate called Comedy versus Tragedy. I, I'm really looking forward, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be really a lot of fun. But it's going to be a lot of fun. That's happening on the Wednesday, right. I believe. Um, so more information, emiratesletfest.com to find out more. Thank you very much, Riz, for joining us in the studio always today. A pleasure. Thank we you could always talk to you for longer, but we're going to have to pop in a bookmark there, unfortunately. 
There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.